This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International, where registration for this year's annual convention is now open. Join us in Toronto for an amazing week of learning, networking, and camaraderie, July 19th to the 21st. Go to destinationsinternational.org to learn more and reserve your spot. And now on to our show. Nicole Hankton is a talented communicator with significant experience in retail and hotel marketing at the Oakland Marriott and Convention Center and the Claremont Club and Spa, a Fairmont hotel. Nicole's current position as Director of Sales and Marketing at the Walnut Creek CVB focuses on promoting Walnut Creek, California as a leisure and business destination to travelers for small meetings, conferences, social events, and weekend getaways. As a proud San Francisco Bay Area native, Nicole believes California is one of the most beautiful and versatile destinations to visit in the United States. Nicole studied business management at Dominican University of California and the University of Phoenix. Nicole Hankton, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill. I'm so happy to be here. Well, first off, congratulations on being named one of the top 100 smart women in meetings and travel by Smart Meetings Magazine. Now, for someone who's been in the DMO world for less than three years, that has to be an amazing recognition. It really is. And I have to say, it has been amazing working with the professionals in destination marketing. Like these people that I work with now have been incredible. So give me a sense of what it is about Nicole Hankton that captures the attention of Smart Meetings Magazine. I mean, this is something that 20-year veterans, you know, are, are, I'm not sure are aspiring to, but I mean, it's a big deal to get named as one of the top 100 in the world. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I think... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, is it real yet to you that, that you've gotten this award? I, you know what? I don't think so. Maybe it will be when we when we all get our awards in person in in Nashville at the three day. But right now, I'm just I'm doing what I love and I I'm doing what I think I'm really good at, and that's promoting something that's awesome and that I think everyone should experience. And Walnut Creek is a wonderful destination, and I'm always looking for ways to get people to come out and experience it. So. Yeah. You know, I've been working hard and I think it's paying off. Absolutely. And you're getting noticed. You know, a lot of the guests on DMOU I've personally met at industry events or as clients or or whatever. We haven't yet. And I certainly Mm -hmm. look forward to doing that at an upcoming industry event. But I was really taken by a few of your quotes in the smart meetings feature that was online a couple of weeks ago. You call yourself a provocateur. Right. My business identifies me as an instigator. So I think we have this certain connection here of not being director of what we do. Tell me how moving mm-hmm. through the world as a provocateur has served you in your rise to where you are today. So I think what's happened over my career is I've stepped into a lot of spaces where there were not people that 
um, that looked like me or came from my background. So just me stepping into the space was a disruption for a lot of people. I found that to be an opportunity, not something to shy away from. I used it as education for myself and for the people that I was working with. So learning that pretty early on in my career, uh, you kind of just accept responsibility that when you step into a space, you're going to think of things differently and you celebrate that and you use that to further your career and to help whatever cause or whatever organization you're working for at the time. So being a disruptor or a provocateur, I think people need that. It's part of the event space. It's also falling in line with destinations. Events cause a disruption and uh, that's kind of what I do. That's why I am where I am today. You say events are a disruptor, but one would hope a positive disruption. Let's take this a little further. The whole disruption thing, you're a disruptor, but you are a welcome disruptor, I would say, and a needed disruptor. So you led with this concept that you know people who look like you, who come from your background, why is it in your mind that hospitality and destination marketing in particular has struggled so much with embracing that disruption? Oh, wow. That's a good question. You know, I think it's just like everything else. I think people get comfortable in their own space. They get comfortable with working with people that they have a lot in common with. This is something that happens in every industry. And I think that comfort sometimes can be stagnating. And sometimes industries miss out on a lot of untapped talent because they get into a comfortable space. So like you said, a healthy disruption makes an industry or people who are leaders in industry turn their head and go, wait a second, this is a new direction. And this is this person is coming from a different point of view. And we need this to, to further our business and to keep and stay in line with where the world is going. I think it's just comfort, really. Yeah. And let me take it one step further. There is the response when people say, you know, hospitality and the destination marketing world isn't diverse. Mm -hmm. And I hear the response is, well, there's no bench. That people of color or other diversities have not moved into the sales, the marketing, the types of roles that most of us come from mm-hmm. when we find ourselves in destination marketing. Right. I'm not sure I buy that, but right. if in fact that is the truth, how do we address that? How do we find ways to be more welcoming and more attractive, if you will, to people who maybe come from different backgrounds than we do? Right. I would say and I'm, you know, only speaking from my experience, but I would say every single person can do their part. You can reach out to someone who is diverse or different, who maybe doesn't feel comfortable in that sales marketing space, but they just need a little bit of mentorship, a little bit of encouragement. And you can reach out to that person and give that to them. I've had people do that for me earlier on in my career. And, you know, you may think it's a small thing, but it's not. It's huge. It gives that person that one little boost that they need to step into that space. And I've seen people do it in my career. Um, I've had 
um, a great hotel GM in Oakland who I've seen her do it, Lisa Kirshner. And I think it's just something important for people to do. And I do it because it's part of my responsibility. Once you're in a leadership role and you've passed a milestone, it's your responsibility to reach back and not necessarily to someone who comes from your same background and give them the encouragement that they need to step into that next space that works for them. I think we can all do our part. Yeah, because this is a great space. I mean, it's the most amazing space in the world and that people believe that they aren't either qualified or ready to step into this world. It's like, that. it just makes you cry because this is where, you know, yeah. so many of us want to be. So as I said at the outset, we don't know each other yet. Uh, we've had, a, a, you know, obviously the call to set this up and I got to know you a little bit, but I was sure. just so taken with some of the quotes in that smart meetings piece about you. And you said you learned from strong, successful women and we're actually recording this the day after International Women's Day. Yes, we are. <laughs> One of your mottos is, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Right. And I love that because, and I forget which hotel, and, and this is, it kills me because I love attribution and I, and I can't remember whether it was Hyatt or Hilton or Marriott, somebody had this motto mm -hmm. that no is a plea for more information. Huh. But you've taken that a step farther in saying that if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So tell us how that has informed the way you approach sales. You know, growing up, I'm the youngest of six. So as you can imagine, it, okay. it, you know, it gets pretty loud and, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and you got to speak up. And I remember my mother always used to say, a closed mouth don't get fed. So if you, if you don't speak up, you're not going to eat, right? So right, my right. approach to, to sales and marketing is, you know, shake things up, ask them. I ask planners all the time, what's it going to take to get you to book your program in Walnut Creek? What's it going to take? What do we need to do to get you there? Do you need to come mm -hmm. see the destination? Do you need to experience the hotels? Just tell me what it's going to take. And I think in life, it's weird because I don't think people really ask what you want a lot. And I don't think we ask ourselves what we want. So a lot of times when you ask the question, you're going to get the answer. So I think being afraid to ask the question is an issue. You've got to ask, you know, and if the answer is no, then you find another way or you ask a different question, but you have to ask the question. Absolutely. And that's just it. As sales, I think, is evolving. And, you know, we had Tom Martin on the show recently, uh, who is the author of The Invisible Sale. And he's talking about all these new opportunities to build relationships mm -hmm. digitally and to use email as a way to identify what the hot spot is. Right. I mean, if you have an email that goes out to your client base and you mm -hmm. offer a value proposition versus a luxury proposition, you can go back in and see who clicked on each. Right. And then now you know how to build that conversation. So as you go through, you know, your protocols mm -hmm. to, you know, identify a client to then, you know, reel them in to respect you as their advisor, their consultant, their partner. Tell us how that all works for you, given the fact that you say that if you don't ask, right. it's not going to happen. Right. 
it's amazing the analytics we have now. You can see who's looking at you. You can see who's looking at your website, who's looking at your social media, who's opening your emails. And all of that is amazing for what we do as sales and marketing people. I think it's a mix of all of it and it, it's different for each client. I still believe in that face-to-face. Mm-hmm. If I'm meeting a yep. planner face-to-face and then I'm following up with them with an email and I'm seeing that they're opening my email, then I know for sure, okay, we had this conversation. They seemed interested. They opened the email. Now I know they're interested. Now I'm going to send them a very personal targeted email based on our conversation. And what I like to do is always give little reminders in my emails to follow us on Instagram, check us out on LinkedIn, always give them every avenue where they can be in touch and see what's going on in Walnut Creek. And I think those little touches are important and just keeping those touches consistent and staying in line with what they want I've been using LinkedIn a lot lately and just sort of following people and looking at what they're accomplishing, what they're working on. So when I have a conversation with them or I send them an email, I'm in tune with what they're looking for. And I think that's so important. People need to pay attention. And the tools we have now allow us to do that. So I think it's a combination of all of it, the email, the in-person that helps cultivate that relationship and track it. I think it's part of it. Well, let me take this a step further. I had never heard of Walnut Creek, California (laughs) before until I saw your piece in Smart Meetings. So Uh tell me how an emerging destination like Walnut Creek, and you do have some amazing amenities. I actually, you know, followed Mm -hmm. and went into the website and went, wow, how did I not know that this destination existed? Yeah. Yeah. How do you combat that? Because I'm guessing Even in California, there may be people who don't know Walnut Creek. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's always an opportunity. And I always get excited when people say, I've never heard of Walnut Creek. I'm like, okay, let's let's go down and talk about this (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) you're prepared to be dazzled. Yeah. Yeah, it's an opportunity because Walnut Creek is a great community. It's this very cool, laid back California city with this metropolitan flair, which is why we came up with Go Calipolitan, Mm -hmm. because we really believe that that's the feeling of Walnut Creek. So it's really easy for me to have a conversation with them and use our website as a tool to just swipe through and show them the photos to give them an idea of what they will experience when they come to Walnut Creek. It's an upscale experience, but not pretentious. And uh, it's warm in weather and in the people. Mm -hmm. You'll experience great cuisine, great shopping. All of our hotels are equipped with wonderful staff and they'll have a great stay there. So once we start talking about it, people understand whether it's for them or not. And we're very popular with women. Women love coming to Walnut Creek because we're inviting. And you know, I mean, maybe this isn't PC, but wherever women go, men follow. Oh yeah. So (laughs) it's, it's true. We're not. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So um, there's always an interest. Yeah. And then once they come visit, um, usually they're hooked. They love Walnut Creek. Well, that's interesting. And I think it's a wonderful message to any destination that feels that it is somewhat 
either unknown or overshadowed. I mean, we're working with a community right now that almost everybody we talk to in the community is going, oh, well, we're not as cool as this other city. It's yeah. Like, but you're cool. Right. Why are you comparing yourself to these guys? Because yeah, don't you, do it. you've got something going on here. Let's go with it. And I, I just love the fact that you're doing that. So your third question, you were in hospitality. You stepped away for a while. You wanted to get back, but you said that you didn't want to go back to hotels. And that's kind of how you found your way to DMOs. Mm -hmm. So in getting right. into this new position, you told the CEO that you had a completely different view of how destination marketing and sales ought to go. So how did you convince this individual to change up how destination marketing could thrive in Walnut Creek? Yeah, it was tough because I came on board a few months before COVID hit. Yeah, yeah, and right. um, we had some changes in staff. Yeah, I mean, I know you remember this at this time, Bill. It was weird. Like no one knew what was happening. Oh yeah, it felt apocalyptic. It was, you know, it was crazy. But what I did know as a marketer is that our online identity has just become extremely important. Yeah, and at the time, our online identity was pretty much non-existent based on the standards that, um, you know, on digital marketing these days. And, you know, I just said, we need to completely change this up. We need to have a strong virtual presence because everyone's in the house. We need to have a strong virtual presence. And the data that was being put out earlier on by U.S. travel and by San Francisco travel and uh, even Destinations International is that People were starting to creep out, but they wanted to go to places that had a lot of outdoor space and mm -hmm. they couldn't and didn't want to get on planes. So we were looking at drive traffic. So it was pretty clear that we need a virtual identity. We need an online identity. We need to be recognizable online. We need to have something to talk about. We need to have a brand. And so that's when I s slowly started talking to the hotels on our board about a rebrand and being able to give Walnut Creek its own identity in the marketplace and then start talking about that. It was slow conversations at first. And of course, no one knew what was going on with COVID. So it was tough at first. But once the communication started picking up and people started seeing the data and seeing that little sneaky leisure travel was starting to happen, people slowly started to agree that we definitely needed to take a different approach. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right about how far we've come and what that was like back two years ago. Oh. And I mean, people were talking about this thing. I mean, there was already, I think, an international meetings conference, I want to say in Barcelona, Yeah. that had in February said, there will be no shaking of hands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're going to nod and bow respectfully, but don't right. touch anybody because right. we don't know what this thing is. But then in March, I remember being in Scottsdale talking to our resort owners, and I was talking to all the resorts. And, you know, the first day, the question always was, uh, cancellations, cancellations? Uh -huh. And they went, no, no, fingers crossed. And the second day, one of the largest resorts, the GM came in and she goes, I just was told mm. an hour ago that we lost a meeting that was a million dollars Oh, geez. for next week 
for next week. There's no way you recover that, right? And so how do you shift like that? You know, I went back last night because, you know, the two-year anniversary technically is kind of coming up. And I was looking at the blog posts that I was doing and none of us knew. I mean, I was... I wasn't saying I was making fun of the whole thing, but it was like mm-hmm. there was some mirth in my posts until we realized by April, oh shit, yeah, this is not going away anytime yeah. soon. I don't care what the president says. It's not going yeah. away by Easter, like a miracle. And then we realized we're in for the long haul. So I, I think that your ability to see that right. was uh, you know, fairly prescient. I mean, it, it's it's pretty cool. So, so changing up the whole way that you do what you do, how is that playing out today? It's playing out very well. And the cool thing about being a small destination is you can be nimble. Yeah. And COVID has taught me, yep. yeah, we have a marketing plan. I think during COVID, my marketing plan was six months. Normally it's a year, but it was a six month marketing plan. And I remember presenting it and going, so if this happens, we're going to keep going with this. But if this happens, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go with this. Scenario planning. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so we can be very nimble and we can lay out a marketing plan for 2022, which is just to get people to Walnut Creek and pay attention to those budget conscious folks who haven't totally recovered yet budget wise, but they want to come to a great destination and be able to afford it. We're looking forward to capturing those folks and we can be nimble with our marketing plan when reaching out to them. I mean, we're close to Napa wine country. We're close to Sonoma. We have our own winery, but then they can always head over to San Francisco after their program if they want to, because we're accessible from all of those places. So yeah, yeah, we are really pushing our accessibility, how our product is great and how they can drive there if they need to. We're trying to make things easy for people coming back to meetings and conferences. We want to make create that opportunity for them. Yeah. Well, we love the way you think, and uh, congratulations once again. Bonus round question time. Sure. You were, as I am told, an entrepreneur at a very, very young age. For instance, instead of just selling lemonade, at a lemonade stand when you were 11, mm-hmm. you did a combo. You did lemonade, hot dog, and chocolate chip cookie yes. deal. Yeah. <laughs> when most kids just do lemonade. So I want to hear about how you raised money, organized, and promoted your own remixed production of Romeo and Juliet <laughs> when you were a kid. Yeah. So I was about nine when that happened. And it's funny because my sister reminded me of this story. I told her all about it. I said, oh my God, Bill Geist called me. And I told her like, this is a big deal. And I said, you know, I have to give this story. And she immediately came up with that. She's like, you don't remember that? And I did. I I came up with this, an idea that you know, my best friend and I had saw on, on TV this uh, play of Romeo and Juliet, and we really loved it. And we thought we should do our own version. You know, we're these two little kids in this neighborhood. You know, we, we didn't grow up with money. So I went around from door to door and asked all of our neighbors if they had like loose change or, you know, everybody has like that bowl or bucket in their house that has loose change in it. So I went from door to door. Yeah. Let me stop you right there because most kids go, let's do a play. 
you started with let's find the money to do the play. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I went from door to door because we were going to need costumes. We were going to need curtains. Right. Yeah. We are going to need all of these things. And so I had, a, I made a sign and I went from door to door and I showed them what we were going to be doing. And I think I raised about 30 bucks in change, which, you know, in the eighties was, you know, yeah, pretty good. Sure. Yeah. My mom took me to the thrift store. I bought some stuff, got some old curtains from the house and some old clothes donations. And yeah, we did a, a remix version of Romeo and Juliet. We pulled it off. We marketed it. We didn't get that many people to show up for the show, but we pulled it off. So honestly, Bill, like, you know, Hamilton, yeah. I did it first, but with Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I love it. And nobody has to know that you only had 10 people in the audience. Just put it on the resume and it looks good. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that is amazing. Hey, Nicole, again, congratulations for being one of Smart Meeting's Smart 100 Women. It's a hell of an honor. And we look forward to more great things from you in the years ahead. Amazing. Thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate this opportunity and I look forward to welcoming you at some point to Walnut Creek. I can't wait. Next time I'm out that way, you know I'm coming. Awesome. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International, where registration for this year's annual convention is now open. Join us in Toronto for an amazing week of learning, networking, and camaraderie. It's July 19th through the 21st. Go to destinationsinternational.org to learn more and reserve your spot. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, like links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and a new model for destination development, our book, Destination Leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of over 80 episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. Mm -hmm.